Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How are you doing? The year's almost done. Yeah, I'm about ready to go on vacation. I'm going to be away for a three-day weekend. That's why we're recording this episode slightly early, but not that early. And then next week, of course, is Thanksgiving, the American holiday that you Canadians do not partake in. No, but I do have an American husband, so we, we are going to have like a turkey. Now is the time that we get to delve into our back our, our backlog. Are there any games that you're planning to play over the holiday, like and the rundown to the holidays, so that you can brush up on game of the year stuff? Uh, I really want to try to get Disco Elysium on the, on my PC. It should be able to run it. Uh, once we actually hit vacation and like the game of the year stuff is really out of the way, I'm thinking uh, I have two major plans. I have Switcher. And I have, I'm really, I really want to start Final Fantasy XIV. Like, all my friends are playing it right now, and I want to be cool as well. Yeah, I think I am also going to play Disco Elysium. I really enjoyed a thread that Katie posted in Slack that was talking about how it is very much about a, a leftism that might be a little bit foreign to American leftists in the sense of... It was made by people from Eastern Europe who maybe mm-hmm. have kind of personal experience with the Soviet Union and whatnot. And I, and it apparently it talks a lot about good intentions, but also looks to kind of the gritty aspects of dealing with, well, being on the streets and the poor and like the actual day-to-day of idealism rather than the top level, like, let's fix things. Yeah, yeah. Um. That, that's exactly it, like the whole like good intentions and what comes to them, and we all know what the road to hell is paved with. So yeah, that's one reason I'm also kind of looking forward to just uh, diving into Disco Elysium before the year's out. Yes, so, yeah, and I guess I'm going to just keep playing Pokemon, which I'm really enjoying so far. I keep going back to Pokemon. I keep saying, okay, you know what, maybe I'll start Switcher now, but then I boot up my Switch, and I'm like, oh, you know what, there's like, I want to see what the weather is so I can catch, like, I want really, I really want to catch a Dreepy which is like a ghost, uh, I don't know if you've seen one, but it's a ghost uh, dragon Pokemon. It's really adorable, uh, and it evolves into something that's completely out of this world, so I, I'm already in love with it, and I want to catch one and make it my friend. I am in the process of capturing basically anything that I see. Yeah, that's a good way to do it, too. Yeah, because like, I'm not that far in, ultimately. I just beat the first gym, finally. Which, by the way, the first gym is quite late in this game. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, I think they mean you to really ha- take your time exploring the wild area, which I'm, you're not the only one I'm hearing that from. People saying, oh, I didn't get to the wild area for a very long time. Whereas I got to it fairly early because when I was playing the game, the, wi- the uh, wild area didn't have the servers on. So it was like, okay, this is cool. I'm going back to the game now. But now that the wild area, the servers are on, it really is a totally different place. I spent a, like a, a hot minute exploring the wild area, but then I found a lot of monsters that were kind of above my level. Yeah. And so I was just like, uh, I should go. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't take on this level 30 monster when I am like level 10. I love the camping so much. Uh, I love having a first person view of my little Pokemon running around and I have a ball and it runs up to me and like makes little hearts. <laughs> I'm like I don't even I don't even care about you, but you're so cute. I'm gonna toss the ball. Oh my god, the yamper is going after the ball, and it's wagging its little corgi tail. Little, cor- little corgi butt. That's um I've actually seen on Twitter, and Twitter's actually great for this. Just the different interactions people have had that I haven't had. Uh, for example, there was someone who put up a video yesterday of two of their P2s racing each other, and I haven't had that happen to me yet. Uh, and there was another instance where someone was just camping on one of the routes and a Pokemon came up to them and like basically asked, like not in so many words, but like, hey, can I join Can I join you? And and if you say yes, like it goes into a Pokeball and becomes part of your party. And I thought that was really, really cool. I have been wanting something like this for I don't even know how long. So it is so exciting to me to finally have it realized on the Nintendo Switch and honestly realized pretty well. So I also think it's pretty funny that Pokemon Sword and Shield really leans into the soccer thing so much (laughs) as a soccer fan. (laughs) I feel like, man, they really have some serious soccer fans on this team. Like the first gym is basically Allianz Arena from, uh, from Germany. The 
Yes, the uh, God, the Bayern Munich Stadium that also was kind of copied for the Minnesota United Stadium and MLS uh, with the big kind of glass dome kind of look to it. It it looked very cool and also very familiar. That's actually like one of the reasons I was like looking forward to you playing the game because I knew you'd spot all these soccer references that went right over my head. I feel like there's at least one other soccer reference. Uh, but then it's I, I like the opening ceremonies. It's very Champions League. And mm-hmm. I love going into a field with a giant crowd cheering me on and gasping at, as things are happening. It makes the gym battles feel much bigger than they have in previous games. And I also like that the crowds look better in Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield than they do in FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, really hilarious. But I, I did notice how the crowds, like, they, they wave banners. And when you are on, like, the last Pokemon of the, of whenever you're on the trainer's last Pokemon, the music changes and it gets a lot more intense. And you can hear the uh, the cheering and the uh, the chanting a lot more clearly. Yeah, and when it's really cool when they Dynamax. It, it has a a feeling to it like, oh, things got just got real. And I could Dynamax too, but I kind of didn't want to. It was actually more fun to fight them as a small version. Yeah, I usually just do it for the spectacle, but uh, you can absolutely fight them small if you're like, I don't want to bother because it, honestly it is a bit of a long animation. But it is, it, it, there is a certain sense of presence where you Dynamax and the Pokemon just kind of falls on the ground and like breaks everything and it just is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The little flourishes with the trainers as well, where they're like, ah, oh, now I'm going to use my ultimate move and everything. It feels like I'm watching the anime. <laughs> it is, yeah, it does. It is kind of a strange combination, but a really effective one of the anime and sports culture in the UK. Yes. Uh, I mean, honestly, the cross the cross reference for me is perfect. So <laughs> I'm, of course, going to end up digging uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Also, uh, my score bunny has evolved into Raboot. <laughs> that is such a bad name. Yeah, yes. He, he becomes Raboot, all right. And I'm carrying around also uh, the Yamper, and I went and caught a woo, a Woobat because I recognize what it evolves into, and I'm like, oh, I, I like that thing when it evolves. I think it's from, like, Gen 6. Yeah, I think that's Noivern or something. Yeah, Wybrat or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been naming them after um, soccer players. So there's a, a striker for Chelsea named Mishi Batsuai. So I, I named the Wu Bat Batsuai. <laughs> you got to fit within 12 characters. Yeah. Well, I, I'm trying to think of names for all of the ones that I actually care about. Uh, I, I seem to be using this one bird that you get right at the beginning quite a bit. And it just evolved. Oh. And I have the little fox thing that evolves into the big fox thing that's a dark type. (laughs) Oh, the Nicket? Yeah. Yeah, I would say hang on to that Rookity. It becomes pretty cool. Oh, is that the one who eats the Pikachu? No, no, that's the Cramorant. (laughs) Okay. Which is a great name. Uh, It's funny. The birds in Pokemon actually have a pretty rich history. The the starting birds. I've always been partial to Pidgeot. And then in Diamond and Pearl... Uh, not Diamond and Pearl. Oh, yeah, no, Diamond and Pearl had a cool one. Um, and also Black and White had a pretty cool one. And my favorite one was actually in X and Y. It's the Talonflame, which was yes. uh, a big red bird that used fire-type moves and had a special move that effectively allowed it to always go first. So if you did, if you powered up its attack... Like, it could be a perfect in-game sweeper. It was a lot of fun to use. Yeah, I've seen uh, Bravery in a lot of um, competitions. So I'm hoping that Sword and Shield's bird continues in that grand tradition. But, yeah, so I was playing Pokemon Sword and Shield quite a bit last night and really enjoying it. You know what other RPG I've been playing that I've been really enjoying? What's that? Ring Fit. Oh, really? So you got it? Yeah, I totally got it. And let me tell you, it's a pretty intense workout. I was I was sore the next day. Yeah, I hear it's uh, really fun and actually very good, and it's, it's selling quite well. It's been on the charts for a while now. It's a dumb but brilliant idea of uh-huh. where you're like actually jogging along and you're kind of aiming the ring, shooting it at things, but then you get into random encounters, but your attacks are exercises. 
<laughs> yeah, it sounds really fun. I'm actually hoping that Nintendo continues to support it with DLC. It seems much better than Wii Fit, just because it, I mean, you attach the little strap to your leg, and then you have the actual ring. And so you can do things like put the ring down, get on your back, and then do like leg extensions, or... And it's a, it's a good core workout and also squats and everything. Like it hits all of the different uh, essential parts of the body for its exercises. I, I think it's really well designed. Yeah, uh, we Fix. I did We Fit. And We Fit really wasn't a great workout. Um, the whole balance thing was uh, kind of okay, I, I suppose. I, I don't think there's any real science behind it. Uh, it, was I also, rem- uh, it was also focused on, I think, BMI, which it was is very the greatest measure. BMI. No, it's it, even my doctor, who's quite like you know conservative old guy, uh, says BMI is is useless. I mean, every time I get on that scale, I'd hear, "Oh my God, you're you're so obese because <laughs> your BMI is so high." It's like, ah, screw you. So I finally got fed up. It's like I don't come here. I don't play video games every day to hear how fat I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, let's actually the plug out US Gamer Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, can I recommend that you leave a review a positive one preferably on our podcast wherever you consume your podcast product probably itunes maybe stitcher perhaps over on spotify yeah leave us a review and a rating and we really appreciate it makes it brightens our day and it also improves the visibility of the podcast if you had feedback or a topic you want to discuss why don't you send me a dm on twitter my dms are open i'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot, or you can send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. We have a newsletter for the podcast that comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia has a topic that she sends and also what the latest RPG headlines were. Nadia, what was your topic this week? Well, since uh, we're kind of done for RPG big releases for the year, I talked a little bit about like, you know, asking people if they've secured their. Uh, RPGs of the year yet. Uh, I think I've got my ducks in a row, or my dragons in a row, if you will, uh, because it's a very predictable year outside of maybe Disco Elysium, which again, I have to try for myself before I can say yes or no. But um, it's like Dragon Quest XI-S. Okay, great game, great port of a great game. Sure, that's easily on. It's just a port. A great port. It's a great port. But are we really going to name DQ11 one of the best RPGs two years in a row? Um, it's just on my personal list. I mean, like, uh, not just because of the fact that it's a great port, but it also has a lot of new content. So it's not just like, oh, okay, here you go, um, a decent port for the Switch. It, it does actually have, like, enough quality of life and new content improvements to, to make me say okay. But uh, really, I'll probably end up giving to Dragon Quest Builders 2. So there is another Dragon Quest for you. <sighs> Dragon Quest Builders 2. <laughs> <laughs> Me, Mike, and Eric. It's like going to be a thorn in your side for the rest of your life, cat. The freaking cartel is going to get it put into the goddamn top 50 of our freaking top 100 decade <laughs> list. What the <laughs> hell? What is what wrong cartel? with you people? Is there a Dragon Quest cartel going on or something, you think? I'm fine with Dragon Quest Eleven being on there, but Dragon Quest Builders 2 is just a weird choice. It is. Because it's a good game. Sometimes good games are weird choices. <sighs> but is it one of the top 100 best games of the decade? No, it's yes. not. <laughs> there <laughs> yes. are better games. <laughs> no, there isn't. <sighs> okay, I, I'm not going to... I'm not starting this. I'm not starting this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so subscribe to our newsletter. It is... Um, yeah, you can find the subscription information on the site, and you will get it every single Wednesday, and you'll get to hear Nadia, see Nadia's lovely writing in your mailbox every single week. Speaking of awards, uh, the Game Award nominations came out, and uh, there are some weird choices in there, Nadia. Yeah, uh, some weird omissions as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at best RPGs, right? And here here are the best RPG choices. Disco Elysium, okay, good choice. Okay. Which, by the way, though, it should be in the Game of the Year category. That, that's that's, fair. Yeah. that's too bad. Final Fantasy XIV. Um, um ongoing that wouldn't that be best ongoing game i I would i would put it under best ongoing game because yes shadowbringers was apparently excellent it's one thing i want to experience this holiday hopefully but um sure okay kingdom hearts 3 
Sure. Got to have it somewhere, I guess. I don't think it's going to be on our top 20. No, I mean, I don't think it? I don't think Katie nominated it. And she would be the no. only one to nominate it. Yeah, so it, the, from her, it, from what I gathered from her, it's a really fun, good, solid game, but, you know, forgettable in the end. It's like a throwback to the PS2 days. Exactly. I started some consternation. Uh, my Slack logo now is that damn cat. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that cat's Canadian? Of course it is. It's, for, its name is Smudge. It's from Ottawa. Well, yeah, so Kingdom Hearts 3. I started some consternation on Twitter when I said that Kingdom Hearts was never good. <laughs> that sounds like something you would say. But it wasn't. It never was good. It was always a pretty one-dimensional action RPG that had some pretty surface-level Disney references, never had that great of a story. I mean, it's just people remember it fondly because of nostalgia. It was like, I watched some of a playthrough of 3, and it was a little bit strange because it was like, okay, here's the famous let it go scene, but we're, we've got Roxas. Was it Roxas? Sora. Uh, Sora and Goofy and Donald are just there off to the side saying, hey, someone's singing. Let's go check out who it is. And it's like, okay, sure. That's a little strange. Yeah, I think the problem with, Dis- with Kingdom Hearts is, so it definitely appeals to Disney nuts. Yes. Which I am fair. not a huge Disney nut. Like, I know people no. who go to Disneyland multiple times a year, and I'm like, you're crazy. But at the same time, like, I don't have any problem with Disney. I, I like Disney films broadly. I didn't really feel like Kingdom Hearts ever really truly nailed the Disney stuff. And if you strip away the Disney stuff, which is consistently the best part of Kingdom Hearts, it does not stand on its own. Yeah, um... One thing I do appreciate about it, though, is that uh, it utilizes one of the strongest spells, not just in the Final Fantasy universe, but in the whole Square Enix universe, and that's Zeta Flare. And that's, that's cast by Donald freaking Duck. He can cast <laughs> Zeta Flare, like the world-ending spell of the Square Enix universe. And, he, of course, he screams it in that weird Donald Duck voice of his, which makes it even better. <laughs> All right, that's pretty cool. It is. Uh, Monster Hunter World Iceborne. I mean, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. I think I've said in the past that it has, pretty, it has some pretty strong RPG elements. Right. It's a little debatable in some ways about whether it should be on this list. Um, I would be more inclined to put it under action. Yeah. Um, and then Outer Worlds, which is, uh, I mean, yes, that's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I never got to play Outer Worlds. I don't know if we get to play it this year, but you seem to like it. Um, yeah, I, I dug it. I don't think it's as good as Disco Elysium. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm so, it's too bad that Pokemon didn't come out in time to be nominated, because it should definitely be on this list. Yeah, I would have put it on the list, personally. Yeah. And then, of course, Fire Emblem Three Houses should be on this list, but it yeah. is under strategy. Okay, maybe, sure, but what a weird, what a weird award ceremony. Yeah, and then Game of the Year... Uh, here are the Game of the Year nominations. Control, uh, Death Stranding, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro, and The Outer Worlds. I don't know that I agree with any of those games as potential Game of the Year candidates. Maybe Smash, which I, I, I know it's fair to vote it as a 2019 game because it came out so late last year. And uh, it has actually had so much added to it. But other than that, it's like, well, I never played Control, so I can't say one way or the other. As for the rest of it, it's like, man, Control Death Stranding? was a really cool mess. <laughs> I've heard that. Death Stranding was, I mean, that's like a Rorschach test of games. Like, it's really a question of what you want to get out of games is what you'll get out of Death Stranding, honestly. There is going to get, like, Game of the Year anyway, so, like... Not from us. No, not from us, but from Keeley, of course it will. Uh, I mean, let, let's give Keely a break here. I mean, it's not like he nominated them. Like, outlets, as I said on Twitter, outlets were busy playing Death Stranding at the time that these ballots came out, so it was very top of mind. And that's why I got a lot of nominations. Like, it probably got more nominations than maybe we would have given it if not for the fact that we were playing it at that exact moment, so we were thinking about it a lot. True. So it was just natural for, you know, it to come up. It's like, oh, yeah, that was a really good score, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, Control, Death Stranding, Smash Brothers Ultimate, 
Resident Evil 2, Sekiro, and The mm. Outer Worlds. Which, mm. uh, okay, yeah. Like, so, I think I said that my personal game of the year is Fire Emblem Three Houses, and I, I don't know if that should be necessarily in the game of the year slot, but I think The Outer Wilds and Disco Elysium are two gigantic omissions. Yeah, did The Outer Wilds get any nominations? I, I hope Best it got indie. something. Just indie, eh? Oh, because yeah. that was such a really... Uh, admittedly, I had problems with my copy because I found it did not run well on my Xbox whatsoever. But the idea and the the story and the concept that really just blew my mind uh, at the time. I, I really enjoyed that the world building they had going on there. If you want to talk about games that we'll still be talking about five years from now, I don't think any of those games that are in the game of the year category necessarily fill the bill. I think that. Uh, on the other hand, I think Disco Elysium, Outer Wilds, and certainly Untitled Goose Game are all games that we'll be talking about in five years. Yeah, uh, most certainly. Um, I am glad to see Sayonara Wild Hearts as one of my dark horses this year, and it did get at least like uh, nominations for the thing for, not even for indie, but like for music at least. So I'm, I'm happy to see that. Well, the good news is that the Game Awards are not the be-all and end-all. There's also the Game Developers Choice Awards. There's also Mm -hmm. the BAFTAs and various other. And that's where we tend to see uh, a little more balance come in. Um, I seem to recall that Red Dead Redemption 2 got like a single solitary nomination at the Game Developers Choice Awards after basically sweeping the, uh, the Game Awards last year. Did it? It only got, like, because, I, I mean, it's not like I look back on Red Dead Redemption 2 and say, oh, why were we even in love with that game? That was a bad game. It, I think Oberdin ended up being the top game of the Game Developers Choice Awards. Well, yeah, I, I guess I'd much rather see it go to Oberdin, like, such a, a great but lesser-known game versus a, a big AAA rock star game, even though I did, like, RDR2 very much. Anyway, it seems like Outer Worlds ended up being kind of the big winner in terms of RPGs on this list, just by virtue of the fact that it got into the Game of the Year category. Because I guess people really, 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 really wanted it to be the alternative to Fallout 76. Yeah, I, I will say that much. I mean, and, and good for them. <laughs> what can I say? I have nothing against them. Uh, maybe it's not really truly Game of the Year, but hey, go for it. Strive. Only shooting stars break the mold and all that. Anyway, the Game Awards are going to be on December 11th, I think it is. Uh, I was going to go down to... No, it's going to be December 12th. I was going to go down to L.A. to actually be there. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah, but instead I'm going to England, so... (laughs) (laughs) So you're not going to be there for the U.S. Gamer Game Awards Slumber Party, where we're all up until 11 o'clock. No, no, I'll be there. I'll be at the Slumber Party. It's just I wasn't going to go to L.A., come back, and then go to England. Oh, so you're really going to be up late because it's like, God, last year at 11 o'clock, we were all like, oh, my God, please let this end. And I mean, there was that really cool um, live performance of the RDR2 music. But otherwise, it was like, I'm in pain. My whole body hurts. It is almost midnight. Please let me die. So that's the Game Awards. Now let's move on, Nadia, to the mailbag. So on your Axe of Blood God notes, it says, it's letter time at the top of this, So, which I kind of appreciate. It makes me think of like Sesame Street or Pee Wee Herman or something. It's actually a reference to that um, that Canadian game show I'm writing about uh, where the host would always get letters and he'd say, it's letter time, it's letter time. So it's uh, it was so low budget. It's just one of the things he always did. Okay. So the first letter is from FTL Mantis, and FTL Mantis writes... The reason I personally liked Emerald Ruby Sapphire so much is that it's the first game where the increased Pokemon variety combined with increased system complexity to make the collection battle system compelling. I feel like every time I revisit Gens 1 and 2, I'm stuck with essentially the same team through the first half of the game. Gen 3 gives more interesting typing options on dead-end Pokemon right from the start. This is another thing as Sword and Shield does well, too. Add in the fact that I personally find the art style in starters very compelling and is clear why it's subjectively one of my favorites. And then they apologize for people being mean to Callie. So this is in response, Nadia, to our conversation last week with Callie Plaguey, where we said that 
we uh, like I was basically like I don't understand the love for Pokemon Emerald and Ruby and Sapphire because it in many ways like if those games had come out in 2019 you think the Twitter firestorm now was bad holy cow the only reason that it wasn't more of a thing was because Pokemon wasn't what it is now and because social media didn't exist <laughs> yeah it was definitely social media didn't exist because I remember there was some unrest uh uh, like amongst reviewers about um, Sapphire and Ruby, but other than the reviewers, no one really had a way to contact them except you know maybe through email and uh, maybe you know on a message board somewhere. But there was definitely nothing in the way of Twitter or YouTube or anything that makes it easy for you to get fed rage. I remember sitting on the IGN boards and complaining about it constantly. <laughs> Did you seriously? Oh, people were so mad that all 386 Pokemon were actually in the game, but that they were locked away. See, I didn't know they were locked away for the for a very long time. People would game shark it just to access like Charizard and such, and they were like, "Screw you! I paid for the data." Well, yeah, that's fair, I suppose. Yeah. So, and and then beyond that, like it cuts so many features from Gold and Silver, which I mean, we already talked about. Uh, yeah. It does, I think, have three of the strongest starters out of any of the Pokemon games. I am extremely fond of Mudkip, Trico, and uh, Torchic. And ultimately, yeah, it did actually add some compelling... It, it On the back end, it did a huge amount to bring Pokemon into where it is now by introducing things like abilities and traits. It redid the IV system into a way that is still pretty much used today. It redid mm-hmm. the EV system in a way that's pretty much used today, which is like a big part of why the Pokemon from Gold and Silver were mostly not that useful or weren't able to easily be transferred over to Ruby and Sapphire. Um, and just by adding in abilities like Levitate, you kind of transformed Pokemon like coughing or or Gengar because suddenly they had levitate which meant that you couldn't use earthquake on them which meant that like all of a sudden they were that much stronger because uh, one of the key attacks was no longer useful it really added a lot of different dimensions to the to the competitive metagame uh, but that was also very much of the time and yeah. Pokemon has evolved a lot since then so a lot of that stuff is kind of lost to time as it were and honestly, like, if we want to talk about, like, favorite metagames, I still prefer Diamond and Pearl. I think that was my favorite one. Not the least because you couldn't tell what people would lead with. So the Pokemon you led with was actually a really interesting strategy. And it added a lot of things that I really enjoyed. Like, um, uh, there was a certain move where you would attack and then you would flip out and change. Which, uh, com- yeah, U-turn. Like, adding U-turn did so much for the metagame, right? Made it so much fun. Like, it added a flow and a movement to it that I really enjoyed. Uh, Ruby and Sapphire's metagame was actually a little bit limited in some respects. Though I, I think the 200 metagame was better than a lot of people remember. Um, I just remember playing uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, and just, I don't even think I finished it, because as much as people rag on IGN for that, you know, 7.7 too much water or whatever it was, I understand what they were saying because you had to call up an HM, even in the remake, to to sail through the water, and there was a lot of damn water in Hoenn. Yeah, and also the villains in that game were weird. They were really weird. <laughs> they're like their whole shtick was we want to flood the earth or we want to cause massive droughts. So I'm like, I think both are bad. Yeah, one of the funniest comics I ever saw, and I think of it all the time, is Archie is standing with uh, the trainer from that game. And everything's flooded, you know, this tor- terrible storm is here. And, like, uh, Archie says, oh, this is terrible. This isn't what I wanted at all. And the trainer says, well, what did you want? And you see just see Archie imagining himself with this crayon drawing, like him and Kyogre, and says best friends, and there's, like, a rainbow over, <laughs> rainbow over them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Emerald is still really strong for the most part because... It is, yes, definitely. Because it combined ruby and sapphire into one game and so you were fighting both team magma and team aqua so it it made a lot more sense uh there was a lot more story content to it as a result it added things like 
the ability to go into another person's fort and yeah. battle level 100 Pokemon, which was actually kind of cool. That was pretty cool. I love the forts. And also, it added a new ending with uh, with Ray- Rayquaza, as I've learned it's pronounced. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, resolving the battle between Kyogre and, and Gruden. And it actually had a really cool... Uh, it had a r- really cool cutscenes. And then... And then in the post game, of course, you had the Battle Frontier, which was just aces. It was so good. Yeah, so it, so I was always a little salty that Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire never, like, just avoided all the Emerald stuff. And in many respects, it was kind of a step back for a remake, it which was. is weird. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I didn't finish it, um, which is rare for me. I usually at least finish a Pokemon game, even if I don't get into the metagame. All right, John Cutting says... Uh, Bahamut Lagoon is the next game in Square's lockbox that needs the Romancing Saga 3 treatment. It's a gorgeous game with a huge, interesting cast that also bucks a lot of the fantasy tropes to make compelling vignettes into each character's life. It reminds me a lot of a proto-Normandy, where my favorite part of Bahamut Lagoon and Mass Effect is growing around the ship in between missions to see how each person's story has developed. So yeah, Bahamut Lagoon, Nadia, I feel Mm -hmm. like is a little more obscure than it deserves, as I was telling you off air, I always kind of mixed it up with Secret of Evermore in my head. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing to me because the games couldn't be any more different. It's like one is Western developed, the other one's very Japanese, one's an action RPG, and the other one's a, a strategy RPG. It's um, And they don't even look anything alike. No, they really don't. Totally different aesthetic. Uh, Bahamut Lagoon looks, you know, like late era Super Nintendo game with the, the the really nice kind of hand-drawn sprite-based graphics, right, that kind of are mindful of Final Fantasy VI, and I think it and works it really well. And was like the enemies were animated too. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree that it would be nice for Bahamut Lagoon to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you're looking over it, it kind of the story kind of reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy XII. Yeah, um, it definitely had a sort of a mix of machinery and fantasy, uh, more of an emphasis on fantasy because, of course, you had the whole concept was not only did you have your uh, your characters who you used in a traditional strategy game sense, but also each squadron had a dragon. And the dragon could transform, it could take on different elements, it could, uh, it had some pretty cool designs, I have to say, uh, some of them weirder than others, but um it, depending on what you fed them they would change form and i don't remember what the whole like mechanics behind that was but you will find plenty of of guides still that walk you through it i thought you said you were feeding them porno magazines you can feed them porno magazines you absolutely can see that's some secret of evermore stuff right there (laughs) i don't think evermore has porno magazines uh audience please correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) i like that it has a character named princess yo-yo it does have a, a character named Princess Yo-Yo, and actually the localization uh, fan translation was done by uh, Clyde Mandelin, who, of course, did Mother 3 and is a professional translator now. So is Bahamut Lagoon easy to access? Because it seems like it is relatively difficult to play these days. Uh, if The only way I know of is a ROM and the translation patch. To my knowledge, it has never received any sort of re-release, maybe not even in Japan. Uh, I would absolutely love to see it on the switch like that would be my ideal sort of fantasy because it's um as someone who was not good at strategy games when she played bahamut lagoon and still isn't that great at them it's a pretty accessible strategy rpg and that's mainly because the dragons um dragons kind of break the game but in a fun way you and dragons you really love your dragons i i always have since i was a very little girl apparently I think that it seems like a good candidate to go on Steam because Square Enix seems to love their dump their games on Steam. (laughs) And they seem to be a lot better about actually doing the port right these days, ever since they did that horrible art style in Final Fantasy VI and then, of course, messed up the Chrono Trigger port. Yeah, yeah. So if they could do it in a way that would, you know, not turn the game into a visual horror show, I would absolutely be down for putting it anywhere where it is easily accessible, has an official translation, even though the fan translation is very good. Uh, just give it the the Trials of Mana treatment, because look what they just did just this year. I, I'd love to see it. Okay, Gordon Law says, I have a question about Backlog. Are you the type of person like myself to have a maximum of three games on the back burner, or are you the type of person to only play one game at a time? 
Additionally, if a game has been on the backlog for a while without touching it, when do you cut your losses and drop it altogether? Is there a healthy balance between the two? Well, Gordon, as a professional game <laughs> reviewer, I can tell you that everything's on the backlog at all times. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I will say that the Switch has made it a bit easier to get through my backlog because it's like I could play my PlayStation 4, uh, and then when someone else needs a TV, I just play my Switch. But uh, I always have that backlog. Um, I never went against that backlog. The only time I really cut my losses and I try to fool myself into saying that I'll come back someday is when I really need the space on my PlayStation 4 or my Switch and I say, well, this giant ass RPG has got to go. I swear to God, I'll re-download it someday and get back to it. There are some games, uh, there are two types of games, maybe three. Okay. Type one is the game I'm never going to play anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. Type 2 is the game that I'm like, I would like to play this game. It is on my backlog. It is sitting there on my computer and or on my Switch or wherever. But I never really get around to it. And number 3 is the game that I'm like, no, I am going to beat this freaking game. I am going to keep noodling away at it. I'm going to keep coming back. I would say Dragon Quest XI S is on that list. Mm-hmm. I would say Persona 5 is on that list. I would say that, yeah, like those are two of the biggies for me right now. Um, Witcher 3 was on that list forever. And I did finally beat it, but I haven't finished the actual DLC. So I still come back and work on it from time to time, right? Because because I just, whenever I get really into it, I really enjoy it. It's kind of become my Christmas game over the past couple of years. <laughs> you know what? There's nothing wrong with having a Christmas game. Yeah, come Christmas holidays, we, we don't... Christmas holidays is traditionally when game journalists kind of get a break. And yeah. we don't have to play anything new. So that's when we can, like, really start going into our backlogs and everything. Um, last year and the year before, I used that as my opportunity to play a huge amount of The Witcher 3 over the holiday. And then subsequently, I got super into Stardew Valley for some reason. (laughs) Well, Stardew Valley uh, is very, very easy to fall in and out of, uh, especially back into. I hear that a a huge update is coming, so I'm worried that I'm going to fall into it again. I've got Persona 5 sitting on my PS4, and I'm actually at one of the best parts right now. But I, of course, you know, get distracted by other things. Currently, I'm distracted by FIFA, unfortunately. And uh, and I've been kind of like, going, well, maybe I should put this aside and then start over with Persona 5 The Royal. But right. I'm actually just inclined to finish it over the holiday. Yeah, I'm thinking I, I might, even though I have finished the game, uh, I'll probably still play The Royal because I really loved Persona 5. Before I got into the games industry, I was the kind of person who was just extremely methodical about the games that she played, where I would usually have one game at a time that I was playing and I would play it and play it and play it and play it and then I would finish it and then I would move on to the next game and usually I would buy one one game over the holiday that would be the game that I ended up playing and then when I finished it I would go to a friend or something be like yo can I borrow a game and that's what I did in Japan like I would you know I remember borrowing Metal Gear Solid 3 from a friend and just like cranking through it until I finished uh, the problem with my current career is that I'll get really into a game and I'll be cranking through it, and then I'll have to put it down to go play another game for work, and then I'll just completely lose the thread. Yeah, it probably doesn't help that, you know, not to sound like, oh, God, first world problems here, but uh, we get a lot of free games to play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, too many games, honestly. And then not only that, but every single month there's some big new and interesting game to come that comes out. And then, you know, we got to, like, be on top of it, right? And actually, I prefer being able to be on a review for a game because it means that I'm definitely going to play it. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, because we like to not only review games, we also like to to get angles from them and see what the fans are talking about as well. But as I was saying, I think elsewhere, if I had not been, if not for, you know, my job... I would still be playing Fire Emblem Three Houses right now. I would be going through all of the all of the routes. Inst- yeah. Instead, I finished one route, started, got halfway through another, and then I had to put it aside and go play something else. Yeah, I haven't been able to, to start a new route. Uh, and in fact, one of my biggest regrets, you know, even putting aside what's on languishing on my Switch right now and my PS4, 
I have a 3DS that's still full of great RPGs I never finished, and it's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to finish them. Yeah, no, that's the other thing is, if not for, you know, my job, (laughs) I would probably just be going through Final Fantasies right now. Yeah, like one at a time, like just like, hey, let's play Final Fantasy Well, I got super into Final Fantasy VII for a bit, if you'll recall. Yeah, of course, and I really enjoyed talking about that, because I... I love Final Fantasy VII. I wouldn't mind picking it up again come, you know, January and everything. But I started to get really guilty because I was like, I finished this game already. I mean, I can, it's good to have for work, but I should be playing something else. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's always okay to play a classic and reappreciate it from new angles again and again and again. And I again guess. And again and again. I also try to, I also like trying to expand my repertoire, though, so I can write about it. That's fair. I'm bad at that. So... I mean, I think I'm going to pick up Final Fantasy VII again come January just because I kind of want to finish it before playing Remake. Yes, that's a good point. We're, we are going to have a bit of a lull until March when everything hits us again. But I probably would have played seven, and then I probably would have played eight, and then I might have played ten, and then I might have played 12, and that would have carried me all the way until next year, you know? Yeah, easily. Yeah. I'd love to replay 12, but I, I don't have the time. So before you got into the games industry, how did you tackle backlogs? Uh, as a kid, like... Um, I, I was very much a one-game-at-a-time sort of family because I only got them for my uh, birthday or whatever. Um, Super Nintendo, kind of the same thing. That's why I played Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger to absolute death. Uh, but I I was very much the same way. I would buy one game. I would finish it unless I totally hated it. Hello, Legend of Ligeia. And uh, then I'd either borrow from a friend or um, save up and, and get a new game. Yeah, uh, I remember when I was blogging for 1UP a long time ago, I was in these communities where it felt like people were buying every single new game that came out, and I uh, felt perpetually behind, and I was like, well, I'm not buying that game or that game or that game or that game, right? Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, but... I was much more the kind of person who would be like, I would get together with a friend, and they would be like, hey, check out Fallout 3, and I'd be like, cool, yeah, that looks really neat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like something that's just up my alley, and it was. And then I'd play Pokemon for another 200 hours. Yeah, pretty much. I always had those games that I returned to still. Yeah. All right, Thomas Nickel um, is a contributor. Is I think they're a German uh, games journalist, and actually they have an article they're working on with us right now um, for submission over to US Gamer, but they had a whole bunch of thoughts uh, on our Sega Saturn console RPG quest that we did a couple weeks ago with John Linneman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they sent it in a series of tweets, so I just kind of broke them down to individual tweets. All right. The first one, while I disagree about Magic Knight Rayearth, I think it's really well-playing. Beautiful 2D cousin of Zelda and Secret of Mana was directed by the mighty Reiko Kodama. I'm just happy Linkle Liver story was mentioned. I love the combination of 2D backgrounds and 3D trees. I'll agree that Linkle Liver story is quite pretty. Uh, I really like looking at the 2D art in that game. There's just so here's the thing, Nadia. I don't like action RPGs. Really? Not even like Zelda? You like Zelda? Zelda's not an action RPG. It's an action adventure uh, w- game with a heavy emphasis on puzzle solving. Uh, <laughs> my brain is broken. I've been, okay, going, I've been going on about this forever. Zelda's not okay, an so RPG. What do you call an action RPG? An Besides action RPG cool. would be any game in which you're explicitly boosting up stats and but it is okay. still skill based. So a game okay, like Secret, so Secret of, Mana of Mana is very much right. an action RPG. It's like the Ur example of an action RPG. Same with Kingdom right, Hearts. Right, okay. Where um, you can see the little, like, damage counter every time right. you hit an enemy, but you're just like, whack, 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 whack. Yeah, and I guess... I don't think there's any Zelda games that do, I don't even think Breath of the Wild does that. No, so, yeah, okay, I, I, I like action RPGs Breath of the Wild has very, 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 very light RPG elements. Compared to, like, say, uh, a Link... Uh, a link to the past yeah definitely because yeah a link to the past it's like a link to the past is one of those games from the old school where a, the color of an enemy like determined how strong they were i just find action rpgs are often very repetitive um and i prefer the tactical turn-based elements that said i mean i like you know the witcher 3 and everything but i guess i just have i put that in a different part of my brain where <laughs> I'm just really enjoying the open world aspects and everything, and the, the combat kind of takes a backseat to it. But even then, like, Witcher 3's combat is way better than anything you'll find in, like, Kingdom Hearts 3. 
Yeah, I mean, like, what about Skyrim? That has, of course, like the quintessential open world, but the, the combat's combat the worst is, part of Skyrim. Combat, yeah. Like, I basically became an Argonian archer with like a million zillion stealth, and I just snipe everything from a million feet away. You and, and everybody that was else. The combat. I mean, <laughs> and it's like here is a here is a dangerous necromancer. You must uh, you must attack it. Don't be very very careful. Meanwhile, I'm up in the rafters somewhere. Just, whoop, yeah, headshot. yeah. During the whole <laughs> magical college story where yes. you're like up in the rafters and you just have a bow and you're just like snipe 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like who's doing that stop that like blink, a teacher like blink having spitballs like flung at them who's doing that stop it <laughs> oh i'm dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i like i like action rpgs because i know they are repetitive and stuff but i kind of find that a little bit like carthaic i i like going back to secret of mana because i like the, the sensation of hacking away at an enemy hmm um their next uh, note is, it's a bit of a pity Albert Odyssey was only mentioned in passing. I think it's remarkable how working designs improved on the tech, and no love for Shining the Holy Ark. For me, it's maybe the best dungeon crawler on the console, even if the pre-rendered sprites look terrible. That's the thing. I'm totally biased against bad art. Cat <laughs> <laughs> is indeed biased against bad art. I am still amazed that you love uh, A Link Between Worlds as much as you do. It goes to show how great of a game it is. A Link Between Worlds is pretty! You hated yeah, it. Like, didn't you like hate it? No, okay, Link's like, Awakening. I hated. I love Link's Awakening art. I, I'm so surprised you didn't like it that. That's bad art. No, it doesn't. It's so cute. It looks like candy. It, it's completely at odds with the tone of the story. That's true. It is kind of a well. Then again, it's like the original sprites for the Game Boy game were very, very cute too. I mean, you're still got characters named Miss Meow Meow or whatever, and Bow Wow the Chain Chomp. And the camera zoomed in way too close. I did not like. I did not like it. I, I thought it was bad. Katie and I are united in that. And when yeah. Katie and I agree on a thing, I know that I'm on the right side of history. <laughs> but Katie has weird takes sometimes. Well, as I also said on Slack, I think today, I'm never sure what she's going to like and what she's going to hate. Me neither. Sometimes I'm seriously surprised when she comes, when I'm like, oh, I love Dragon Quest XI. She's like, yeah, me too. I'm like, what? She's like, I love this game. But then there will be a game where she just decides that she hates it and puts it away yeah. and never looks at it again. I, there was a game she was talking about just today where I'm like, really? You hate it? Eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> when, you work, when you work long enough with Katie, it's just like, eh, whatever, when that happens. Uh, mid-tier titles like Shining Wisdom or Dark Savior are really expensive nowadays. Both pro have problems, but they're interesting. The first started development on Mega Drive and has two different localizations. The other was considered a sequel to Landstalker, but it wasn't. Um, I've actually been kind of leaving a lot of action RPGs off these lists when we're doing the console RPG quests, I should add. Yeah, that, that seems to be the case. And I, I will admit that the, the Saturn is one of my more shameful bald spots because it is a something... A bald spot. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. I would love to cover it up. I would love to get more into its library because it has such a unique angle of rpg history that no other console has but there's no real easy way to to fill it in and then there's inhales tengai makio daion no mokushiroku the apocalypse 4 what a beast of an rpg a wonderfully weird interpretation of anime huge anime cell enemies great music maybe the best classical rpg alongside grandia nadia my main takeaway from the sega saturn is that it may not be the best RPG console around, but it is definitely full of the most intriguing oddities of any of the RPG consoles. Yes, it was definitely, like, I've really come to appreciate how the Saturn stands on its own as an RPG console. It, it Ideally, going back, if I could go back in time and relive that part of gaming history, I'd find a way to buy both the PlayStation and the Saturn because they're such different, again, just such different branches of RPG history, but they both should be experienced. The, the Saturn would have been wonderful to import circa 2002, where a lot of this stuff was still quite obscure and very mm -hmm. fresh and new and interesting, and we were in a different mindset in terms of gaming history. I think I would have fallen headed over heels for the Sega Saturn's RPG library. Yeah, I would have too. Um, was it like, but a lot of it also is like in Japanese, and I can't read Japanese. Um, you can. Yeah, but not that well. I mean, when I was living in Japan, I got just to the point where I was able to start to understand what was happening without having to read the translations just by looking at the kanji, but then I lost ah. it. 
<laughs> yeah, if you don't use a language, you lose it, unfortunately. That's the problem with language. Yeah, that was the problem, was that there weren't a lot of fan translations back then. It was just harder. So, I mean, you could find game facts and things like that to help you out, but yeah, you had to work really hard. Okay. Daniel Cole says, I want to bring your attention to one game you missed. Okay, so they're talking about Sega Genesis RPGs. This is a reference to our Sega Genesis console RPG quest. Mm-hmm. Um, Super Highlight, an open-world oh. action RPG, but with hardcore RPG mechanics where you had to eat, sleep, and wait mattered. It also added cool things like having good and bad monsters, and though it was hidden if you killed the good monsters, the game got incredibly hard and almost unbeatable. It also had an early class system where you choose to be a warrior, a thief, and leveling and use of magic were incredibly different for each class. The story was also good in that it started high fantasy, but when then went sci-fi about halfway through and had some interesting things to say. The one issue was difficulty. Even in the area of fantasy star games, letting you put yourself in unwinnable states, like using the one dynamite in the game, which was unnecessary to open a dungeon door in combat, and requiring grinding, this game was hard. I didn't beat it until much later, and only by using the internet to look up the trick for the final boss. Nadia, you were making noises of recognition. Is this a game that you know? Um, I know it because uh, one game that we neglected to mention on the Saturn was Virtual High Lied, which is hilariously bad. And I recommend you look up a walkthrough if you ever have time because it's the funniest thing you'll see all year probably. It's really, really, really terrible. I do know that the first High Lied, um, I never played it. That was for the NES but it had like a really, really aggressive ad campaign that made the game look really cool. Uh, it wasn't, but like I used to read a lot of Archie comics and stuff when I was a kid. They always advertised the game in there. Uh, a super highlight is that what it was? Like, I never played that, but it sounds like it's probably better than the original highlight, which is more of a discount ease and uh, <laughs> virtual highlight, which of course was a disaster and a half. Uh, so. Highlight is an interesting case because it didn't come out in America until 1989 and it almost immediately started getting compared to The Legend of Zelda and not favorably. No, no. It was one of those games where you killed enemies by running into them and you just hoped your HP were higher. Yeah. It seems like Super Highlight is maybe the highlight of the series. Yeah. um, I didn't get to play it, but I have heard decent things about it. And finally, Pimpinsta says, I found my PSP in storage last week, and I ended up falling back into R-Type Command. Hard. Oh, man. R-Type Command, Nadia. Did you ever see that one? No, I did not. That sounds like something you'd like, though. I liked it. <laughs> it was a... <laughs> it took R-Type, which was a shoot 'em up and turned it into a tactics game. Now, it wasn't like an isometric tactics game, it looked just like an R-Type, where it was like horizontal and everything, and you're fighting the the alien empire and all that, except that it was grid-based. And when you were attacking enemies, you would kind of like Super Robot Wars cut into an animated, uh, a really nice 3D animated uh, attack cutscene. It was great. That's pretty cool. That does sound really cool. I like the idea of combining just two genres that have no business being together and making a good game out of it. Nuts and gum, together at last. <laughs> Nuts and gum, together at last. I'm a white male, age 30, 30 years old. Everyone listens to me, no matter how stupid my ideas are. <laughs> I, know <you> guys, <laughs> I know you guys have done multiple RPGs over the different consoles lately, but I'm hoping to hear Nadia and recommendations more for space sci-fi RPGs off the beaten path. If, if any of them happen to be tactics RPGs, even better. Okay, here's a game that I'm going to recommend that's coming out on Steam soon, if it's not already out. SD Gundam G Generation Crossrays, which is kind of similar to R Type Command in some ways. Um, maybe people have listened to me talk about SD Gundam on this uh, podcast in the past. It's always been coming out on PSP and PS Vita over the years. the The upshot is you are playing through different maps in the Gundam universe in different stories, and you are That's slowly cool. but surely building up an army of Gundams. And you start out with the most basic units, and as you level them up, they evolve, right? Mm -hmm. And you can move, evolve them into the next, uh, the next level. And as they get higher level, you can spend X amount of money to exchange them for other units, and then again, evolve, keep evolving them. And so your goal is to unlock different kind of chains. 
so that you can get to the units that you want. Wow, that actually sounds pretty cool. I like the idea of just making an army of Gundams. Yes, and it's very satisfying when you get like your one of your absolute favorites finally onto your team, and you're like, yes. And then of yes, course, Tequila Gundam. <laughs> uh, no, Tequila Gundam, alas, has never been in it. Yeah, to my knowledge, they they always only have the uh, the main characters from G Gundam. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but the but then also you spend money on the the pilots as well, and you can stick them in. And then you can put them into pretty much any unit that you want, so it can be a lot of fun to mix and match. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, I can't think off the top of my head of, like, spaced RPGs I like because, um, I don't know, space has never interested me as much as just, you know, good old terrain. I mean, some um, of the problems that JRPGs set in space are not only somewhat few and far between, but also kind of bad. Yeah, I would say the notable exception, of course, is the uh, Fantasy Star universe, which, um, gosh, the first game itself is so interesting in that in a time, like even before the West had Final Fantasy, Sega had a game where you would visit a spaceport and and visit the the neighboring world and, and stuff like that. It was still very much, you know, sword and sorcery a little bit with, you know, with occasional gun and what have you. It was the those plants were more, of, okay, here's an excuse to visit a desert world. Here's an excuse to visit, like, a, a lush world. But um, it still very much was uh, steeped in sci-fi roots. I would say that there are a lot of games that uh, kind of make motions toward being sci-fi games, but actually what they are is kind of steampunk, and they don't really yeah. go into space. <laughs> Yeah, like a, a good example, I think, is, is Final Fantasy VI, which has a lot of steampunk to it, but uh, isn't exactly sci-fi. I was looking at uh, some recommendations that other people were making, and people were talking about Star Control as a uh, as an RPG. Yeah, um, the original Star Control, I think, is more uh, about fighting and, and dogfighting, whereas the second one really is about exploration, leveling up your ship, and uh, fighting... Uh, monsters and uh, of course a crazy ass story okay so that is the end of our mailbag for the week thanks to everybody who submitted do you want to be part of the accident blood god mailbag well this is how you can do it you can send me an email at cat.bailey@usgamer.net, or you can send me a dm on twitter and uh it seems like this mailbag is kind of becoming a thing that we do every month now uh, so yeah, I like the idea of just kind of catching up with people. Yeah, I want to hear from the audience. I want to talk to you, uh, my lo- lo- my loyal warriors of the Blood God. I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on RPGs. Okay, so Axe of Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Make sure to give us a review. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and. Do me a favor and go on our site and read all of our great coverage. Uh, Nadia's been killing it with our Pokemon coverage. Nadia, I finally saw the Galarian Mouth not too long ago, just last night, actually. <laughs> and you're right, it looks like a homeless Totoro. It's, it's great, isn't it? I love that stupid thing. It's so, it scared the crap out of me when I saw it. Its eyes, look at its eyes and its, its mouth. Just these seven sharp, serrated teeth. Terrifying. Uh, also, I did a big deep dive look into the history of the lightsaber and games from Jedi Fallen Order to Bushido Blade, the 35-year quest for the perfect video game lightsaber. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time on that article and actually did a fair amount of research for it. So do me a favor and go and read it. In the meantime, uh, we're just about to the holidays. Uh, we are putting together a whole bunch of gift guides um, one of them by Nadia is for people who like retro games and nostalgic games may appeal to Blood God listeners. So you might want to check that out. And then it's on into the game of the year period in which we get to talk about all look back on 2019. There are so many games that came out this year that I totally forgot about. I totally forgot that Ace Combat 7 came out this year, Nadia. Oh, I, I heard that was good. I mean, it always has great music. I know that much. <laughs> All right. But uh, well, please look forward to that. But as usual, we'll be back next week. But until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. And until next time, happy adventuring.